Well, we are on week number three of a teaching series called Look Up, Worship in the Real World. And I told you that it was going to be a three-week series. Um, this week as I was studying, um, I realized that, that there's more that I want to share with you. Some of the stuff that the Lord's been sharing with me this week um, is just really good. And um, what I was going to share, the Lord showed me two steps back from that. So what I'm going to share with you tonight is actually going to lead you um, to next week and then the week after that, which is the sermon I actually had prepared. And I'm excited because that's really what I want to get to. But I think everything we're going to talk about, well, previous weeks and even tonight, are going to build up to that. So you guys be here every week because I really feel like God's putting a foundation for us as it relates to worship. So the teaching series is called Look Up, Worship in the Real World. And the point of this series is to encourage us and to equip us to keep Giving God, and I want you to say this with me, to keep giving God the first of my attention and the best of my affection. In fact, it's up on the screen. I want us to say this together as almost like tonight's prayer, okay? Can we say that together? You can put a hand in the the air if you want to and just pray this with me out loud. Lord, help me give you the first of my attention and the best of my affection. It's a good prayer, isn't it? And the trick is to do that while living in a day and age, a culture, literally a system of existing that directly opposes how we're supposed to live, move, and have our being exist in God as followers of Christ. I'm convinced that everyone needs to memorize Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Paul says, therefore, brothers, I beseech you or I urge you or I beg of you in view of God's mercies to offer your bodies up as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your spiritual act of worship. And what Paul is saying is that our first attention and best affection is a reasonable response to all that God has done and all that God has promised to do. A reasonable response. Some of your versions say a reasonable act of worship. But the thing is, is, and I thought about this this week, worship is like an algebra equation. This side over here, A plus B equals, let's see if this, A plus B guys equals, and I could say that all day long, and you guys all day long could give me what response? C, because it's easy, we can do it all day. But once you start plugging in factors, to the equation, it starts getting harder. Isn't that right? Two times two is what? Four times four is what? 16 times 16 is what? 32 times 32 is what? First of all, 16 times 16 is not 32. It's 256. 256 times 256 is... That's what I'm talking about. It gets harder and harder as the factors go up and get harder. Isn't that right? It starts taking more thought. It starts taking more time. It starts taking more energy. It starts taking more emotion, all of which can begin to wear us down. Am I the only one that remembers algebra homework? Am I speaking the same language out here? The hate language of algebra? (laughs) Has anyone ever felt like the numbers have got to stop going up? The factors have got to stop or you just might pop. (laughs) 
Has anybody ever felt? Raise your hand if you've ever felt like that. So the next thing that Paul says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. By the way, the pattern of this world is to pop. You know, the purpose of this world is to get you to pop. And the world is waiting for you to pop. He's waiting for you to give in. It's waiting for you to give up. Because when we give up on God, the world will gladly take us in. Paul says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't give up. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Then we will know with confidence what it is that God is up to. Um, Paul's saying, don't pop. (laughs) Don't pop. Don't give up. Don't give in. If anything, press in. Look up. It's the purpose of this series, to teach us to look up while we're living in a world that's up in the ante (laughs) with these stupid math equations. I want you to write this down. This is tonight's takeaway. This is my whole sermon in a sentence. Don't be fatal. Remember, the Father is faithful. Don't be fatal. Remember, the Father is faithful. Is faithful. You guys at 1 Samuel 27? 1 Samuel chapter 27. While you're turning there, I'm going to tell you we're about to head into a season of David's life that most of the people in this room have never heard about. And the ones of us who have heard about it, we'd like to forget it because it's an ugly season of King David's life. It's a worldly season of King David's life. And listen to me carefully. And if the great King David, if the man after God's own heart, if the writer of the Psalms, well, most of them anyway, if the model worshiper can find himself in a season of life that he will soon regret, then what will keep me from falling into the same pattern? Let's find out. 1 Samuel 27, verse 1 says, Then David said to himself, Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Then David kept thinking to himself, the NLT version says, David kept thinking to himself, Someday Saul is going to get me. Now, you may not know the story of Saul and David, so I'm going to give you a quick recap. First of all, Israel cried out for a king. They had had priests and judges, so the way God had put it together. But Israel cried out for a king because that's what the other nations had. The nations of the world. Get that real quick. Israel wanted what the world had. It's, it's, it's crazy. And so keep all that in mind, even as we move forward tonight. God warned them of what would happen if they got a king like they wanted it. They wanted it anyway. Yeah, give it to us. He, I mean, he totally spelled everything out. God gave them Saul, who happened to be... Uh, an Israelite. He was good, strong man. He was fine, big, but he had some deep-rooted fears and insecurities. So Saul started out strong, but the more the factors of his life as king began to add up and increase, the more he started to fold. So eventually, Saul disobeyed God in such a way. I don't have time to unpack all that. You can read it. He eventually disobeyed God in such a way that God began looking for someone else 
So God found a man, it says, a man after his own heart, the young shepherd boy, David. By the way, before David's name was ever mentioned in the Bible, his character was mentioned. I'm looking for myself, a man after my own heart, and then later we discover it's David. That's really important as a worshiper, isn't it? Our character precedes our name. So David is picked to also come and play music. Well, let me go back. Samuel goes and anoints David. You guys know the story. He shows up at the house of Jesse, anoints David with oil, which represents God's approval, his divine approval, but also his divine empowerment. It actually says that from that day forward, the power of God was all over him. So he was anointed a king. Eventually, David was picked to come and be the one to play his music. The evil spirit from the Lord came and would terrorize Saul. He said, find me a musician. They sent for David because they heard he could rock it out on the harp. So he came and he would soothe the heart of the king. And I don't know if you knew this, but it says, and Saul loved David very much. (laughs) Most people miss that. But there was once a very tight relationship between Saul and David. So then eventually David goes out. We know the story. He takes out Goliath at Gath. And everybody say that. Goliath of Gath. When nobody else would go out to fight him, David went. Not even Saul would go out, as big and strong as he was. Then Saul chooses David to lead one of his armies because he's obviously a rocking warrior. So he goes out and fights all of Saul's battles. He leads one of the um, strongest armies. He's one of his greatest leaders. But then Saul becomes jealous and threatened by David and begins this whole cat and mouse chase thing trying to kill David. And we pick up the story after one of those very close call encounters of Saul trying to kill David. It says, but David kept thinking to himself, someday Saul is going to get me. The best thing I can do is escape to the Philistines. Now, you need to go back and listen to last week if you weren't here, if you haven't been a part of this series. You need to go back and listen because last week I talked about how nations and the way that they interact with Israel can be, can be seen as types of the world and the way that uh, the people of God interact with the world. So if you didn't catch that, you need to go back. I talked about how Egypt was a system of existing that wouldn't acknowledge God. I talked about how Babylon was a system of existing that opposed the way God calls his followers to live, move, exist. In this story, you see that the Philistines are a picture of how the world would like to draw us in to friendship. Okay? But for the motive of using us for its own will and its own purposes. Okay? So David gets a little fatal here. He gets fatal and forgets that God is faithful. And he says, the best thing I can do is escape to the world, escape to the Philistines. Then Saul will stop hunting me (laughs) in Israel territory and I will finally be safe. And I want to stop and I want to say something here. And if you don't listen to anything else, at least hear this short two-minute section. What I just read is happening all over more and more in the body of Christ. I want you to look at this, and you can look at it for the rest of the sermon, but especially for right now. I want you to look at this. Israel and its land, I want you to see it as a type of the church, the body of Christ, the people of God. Look at King Saul as a type of church leadership or even just uh, church stuff, specifically 
the things that happen in church that do not represent God's way of existing. You guys know what I'm talking about? You know that there's things that happen sometimes in church that do not represent God and his plan. Y'all do know that, right? So think of King Saul as that, okay? Things that are done out of fear and out of insecurity, out of jealousy, out of selfishness. David is a type of the individual Christian. So David is you and me, okay? And then the Philistines are a type of the world, an alternative, safe place to run to. Now let me pull all that together with one sentence and I'm just going to read it like I wrote it. People are walking away from the church because of the failures of leaders and systems that do not reflect the Lord And they are turning to the world for their safety, for their acceptance, and even their approval. Do you guys see that? So if one leader fails, and help me with this, the whole system is bad. Or if one uh, subsystem fails, one church's ways of thinking and doing things is off then every church is off? I'm I'm asking you, this is is not rhetorical. I'm asking you literally. Is that right? Is that true? The whole system that God put in place to minister to the saints, build them up, equip them, and release them is off? (laughs) Is that right? But that's what we hear. I'm done with church. Isn't that what we hear? How many of you have heard that lately? Raise your hand high. I'm done with it. How many of you have been there? I'm done with church. Listen to me. Do not be fooled. This is the world wooing us to itself. This story is a picture of what can happen to us, the Davids, the individual Christians, when we get fatal and forget what God has done, what he is doing, and what he promises to do. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? I want you to write this down. This is my first point. The world would have us despair. If the world had it its way, it would have us despair. It would have us to despair. Write that down. The world would have us despair. But we have to remember what Jesus said. And I think I mentioned this last week or the week before. In this life, some of your versions say in this world, they're interchangeable. In this life, in this world, you will have trouble. You're going to have problems. But take heart. I've overcome the world. In other words, don't be fatal. Remember, the Father is faithful. Isn't that what Jesus is saying? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, and we're all familiar with this one, we are afflicted in every way, and listen to me real carefully, but, cru- uh, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. You know what despair means? The word despair literally means the complete loss or absence of hope. So despair is a picture of the world because the world is without God. And without God, there is no hope. Isn't that what Paul was saying in Ephesians chapter two? You were at that time separate from Christ, having no hope without God in this world. So despair is a picture of the world. Listen to me carefully. And you can write this down. David was driven to the condition of the world. 
It says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. He goes on and says, I'm, we're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Can I make something really clear to everybody in the room tonight? God will allow us to be afflicted. If you agree with that, say amen. God will allow things to perplex us. God will allow us to be persecuted. God will even allow us to go as far as we want in our sin and fall flat on our face. But listen to me. God is not the one who crushes us. God does not leave us despairing without hope. God does not leave us alone in our trouble and God does not let us drown and die in our sin. Don't you know that? God is faithful and just to forgive us if we confess our sins, to forgive us of all our unrighteousness, purify us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. And this is what he says next. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. Did y'all hear that? We're carrying in our body, carrying with us the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested or shown or seen in our body. Okay, did you catch that? What is this a reference to? This is a reference to worship. Did y'all see that? When life in the real world is tough, we worship. We respond, we remember and respond to God's mercies and we offer our bodies up as living sacrifices. We look up, right? Everybody say, look up. Higher than the mountains that I face, right? We don't look at the mountains, we look higher than that, whatever it is. We don't get pushed to the point of despair. Amen? I give God my first attention. I give God my best attention. Affection, And the thing is, is that David was normally very good at this. A lot of you read the Psalms in your quiet time. And I don't know if you've ever come across Psalm 145 and wanted to stay there. But it's a great, it's kind of a popular Psalm even. And this is when David says, My enemy has chased me. He has knocked me to the ground and forced me to live in darkness like those in the grave. Verse 4, he says, I am losing all hope. (laughs) You hear that? I am paralyzed with fear. But I remember the days of old. I ponder all your great works and think about what you have done. And I lift my hands to you in prayer. I thirst for you as parched land thirsts for rain. So when the real world got overwhelming, David worshipped. Should I say that again? When the real world got overwhelming, David would worship. But not this time, right? Not this time. This time he allowed the perplexity of his situation to drive him to hopelessness, to drive him to despair, to literally drive him to the world. That's what we said. David was driven to the condition of the world. Let's look at 1 Samuel 27, verse 2. Let's just keep reading, right? So David arose 
and crossed over he and the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath. He and his men, each with his household, even David with his two wives. And I won't even try to pronounce all that. Now it was when Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, that he no longer searched for David. Okay, I want you to notice something specifically. Where did David run to? Say it out loud, people. Where did David go? David went to Gath. Gath is where Goliath was from. Isn't that crazy? And this isn't the first time David fled there. There was another time in 1 Samuel chapter 21 that David went to Gath when he was running from Saul. He went to Gath. He went to Achish and his men. Achish and his men recognized who David was. Okay, they recognized him. And David wised up and thought, oh man, they may kill me. I better get out of here. So he figures out a plan how to get out of there. Most of us know the story. We know that David acted like a madman. Y'all remember that story? I'm crazy. You know, they sent him on out of there. They sent him away. Listen, I, I thought about this. All of us, all of us find ourselves in that place of despairing and may even find ourselves visiting places visiting things that we once had victory over. You with me? It happens to us all. Am I the only one? But we can't stay there. We have to recognize that that defeated enemy would like another shot at us. Okay? We can't stay there. We've got to wise up like David did and get out of there. Anyway, David, this time David led his whole family and friends to Gath. And I want you to look at what happens once he gets there. Verse 5. Then David said to Achish, If now I have found favor in your sight, Sir Achish. David, what are you talking about? <laughs> Since when do you want to find favor with Achish of Gath? To find favor, that's the same thing as saying, I'd like to be your friend. I'd like for us to be pals. I'd like for us to walk together a while. It's insane. He said, let them, if, if, if I found favor in your sight, let them give me a place in the country that I may live there. By the way, that word live means long-term plan. I plan to stay here a while. I'm that hurt, that disappointed, that put out, that frustrated. I'm done. I'm going to stay out here a while. He says, for why should your servant live in the royal city with you? Again, are you kidding me? You're telling King Achish that you are his servant? It's like David intends to blend. You guys see that? Isn't this crazy? What is David, what's going on with him? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. The number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. That's a year and a half. So David lived there a year and a half. Let's look, look what happened during that year and a half. Verse eight. Now David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites, for they were the inhabitants of the land from ancient times, as you come to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. So these places that he raided were allies to the Philistines, okay? So you think about this, it's like, oh, okay, well, there's something good still going on in David, right? I mean, he's like still kick, you know, killing Philistines, so that's all good. And that, I suppose that is good, you know what I mean? That he's still got this loyalty to God. I think about that, people that are running from the church, how they still have this, I still love the Lord, I'm just not going to church. That sounds good. 
But that's not, that's not the biblical mandate, is it? I mean, that sounds real good. But the truth is, is that he left Israel and its land. He left the people. I'm going somewhere else. I'm done. Right? Because you think about it. All these people that said, Saul has slain his thousands. David is tens of thousands. Where are those people now? Saul's chasing me all over the country. Where are these people now? You see how he could be super frustrated and disappointed? Where are my buddies now? Where are the cute ladies on the sideline with the pom-poms doing herkies now? <laughs> you know? Nowhere. He's hiding in caves and doing all this crazy stuff. Okay? I'm done. He goes over there and starts hanging out with the Philistines. David attacked the land and did not leave a man or woman alive. And he took away the sheep and the cattle and the donkeys and the camels and the clothing. I want you guys to go back and read this on your own this week so you can get the full scope of all this. Then he returned from raiding these people and he would come home and come to Achish and Achish would say, where have you been raiding today? And David said, well, against the people of Judah, against the people of the Jeremiah, Hylipodites, and against the Kenites and the all kinds of ites. David did not, listen to me, David did not leave a man or woman alive to bring back to Gath, which is what they would normally do. They'd take prisoners, bring them back into town. He said, it says he didn't leave anyone alive saying to himself, otherwise, if I left anyone alive, these people would tell about us that we're really not attacking the Israelites, but then we are attacking the Philistines. Because remember, he said that we were, oh, I'm, I told Achish I'm, I'm attacking Israelites. But he wasn't. He was lying. And he left no one alive to tell the truth. So Achish believed David, saying he has surely made himself odious or despisable among his people, Israel. Therefore, he will become my servant forever. (laughs) Did y'all hear that? Why don't you write this down? This is point number two. The world would have us as slaves. The world would have us as, if it was up to the world, they would have us despair. And when we got to them, they would have us as slaves. You might say, well, David wasn't actually serving Achish because he was killing Achish's people. And that's true. But listen, David was following his own path. This was not God's path. In fact, David was fighting wars for his profit, if you really start reading it, instead of God's honor. And then he lied about it to stay in favor with Achish. Not to mention all the people he killed that wouldn't go and tell the truth. This is the complete opposite of someone who was once a man after God's own heart. <laughs> you guys hearing me? This is, I'm, not, I'm just reading it to you. This is what's going on. Now listen, how many people do we know that used to be on fire for God? How many people do we know that used to battle, fight for God's honor? that used to love God and used to actually serve um, God's people? How How many people do we know that used to let the world know whose name they come in? Remember what David said to Goliath? Goliath is like, I'm gonna kill you and cursing God and all this stuff. And David runs out there and he says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you taunt. This used to be the way David interacted with the Philistines. And now he's all buddy-buddy with them. (laughs) Maybe you used to have a fire in your belly toward the things of the Lord, but maybe you were hurt 
Maybe you were discouraged. Again, all these things that we're talking about, the system known as the church has hurt you and you have fled to despair to the world. And, and, you, and you found yourself being and doing things that you never would have dreamed of. And maybe not you, but maybe someone you know. The Lord's given you something tonight. If nothing else, a burden to pray. Amen. Paul said in Galatians chapter 4, before Christ came, before Christ came, we were slaves to the basic principles, spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, some of your translations will say, in the fullness of time. So at the right time, the fullness came. (laughs) Isn't that right? At the right time, the fullness came. We've been talking about the fullness of Christ. God sent his son to buy freedom for us. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, God has paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. Each of you, dear brothers and sisters, I love that. And this one he says sisters too. So nobody is exempt. Each of you should remain as you were when God first called you. In other words, get out of there. Act like a madman if you have to. I'll be a fool for you, Jesus. I'm out of here. Kind of a thing. Get out of the world. Now I want you to notice that Achish said, it says that Achish believed David. There's some sort of trusted friendship, which you would think, well, that's good. We need to build friendships in the world. We need to trust. That's not what's going on. It goes on to say that Achan said, surely he has made himself odious among his people. Therefore, he will become my slave forever. There's only one thing that Achish has in mind. And what is it that Achish has had in mind the whole time? I want you to write this third thing down. The world would have us as slaves, but the world would also have us as allies. The world would have us as allies. David was so far from heart and home that he was willing to fight against his people. Look at 1 Samuel 28. This is the next chapter. Now it came about in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies to war, to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, know assuredly that you will go out with me in the camp, you and your men. In other words, I hope you know that you will go to fight for me. This is what he's had in mind the whole time. And look what David said. Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. Did y'all hear that? That's fine. I'll go out to war with you. You'll finally get to see what I can do. It's, It's nuts. He was willing to fight against his own people. He pridefully, really, if you think about it, was seeking the approval of the Philistines. Can I ask you something? How do you forget the day that Samuel came and anointed you with oil? How do you forget that? How do you forget the days when you fought the lion and the bear and won? How do you forget that? How do you forget the days when you defeat a giant that nobody else would even fight? You ever thought about that? How do you forget the many days of fighting for Saul day after day after day and winning time after time after time? Winning over and over again. How do you forget the times when Saul did try to kill you, but God protected you? How do you forget that stuff? Did he not experience the most approval anyone could ever ask for? Where would he need more approval from? Is there anybody else besides Jesus who's ever been more approved? 
<laughs> What's going on here? And James 4 tells us exactly what that is. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility to God? Anybody ever heard that verse? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James laid it out for us right there. And that's just what happened. If you look at chapter 29, we don't have time to read it. But David and his men line up with the Philistines ready to fight against Israel. And if you keep reading, you'll see that David ended up not fighting against Israel because when all the other Philistine uh, commanders came to line up, they saw David in the back. They're like, what is this guy doing here? We don't want him around here. They were afraid that mid-battle, David might actually turn and fight against them. And they had heard about David. They had heard about Goliath of Gath, right? And so they said, get this guy out of there. They, met, they made him leave. And David was actually upset about it. If you read, he was actually upset. What's wrong? What have I done wrong that I can't go fight against my brothers? David was upset. What kind of a place are you in, brother? He was literally upset. And then listen to this. When David got back to his city, when he got back to Ziglag, he found that the Amalekites had raided them. And that area was, all of it was burned and they captured all the women, all the children and took all of his stuff. Now granted, you keep reading short of the long, David went and got all that back. Everybody was alive. Everything was fine. Uh, It all works out in the end. But the Philistines went on to go to war and Saul gets killed. If you ever read the story, Saul gets killed. And the whole scene, everything that was going on from the capture of his women and children, that would shake you up. Saul, and even though it was all crazy, there was a time when they had a good relationship In fact, there's another Psalms that said it wouldn't be that big of a deal if we had not once enjoyed sweet fellowship, reminiscing the uh, times that he and Saul had together. But all of this was like a shaking to David. And I love the last thing that Paul said in in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, "We're, we're afflicted in every way. We're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We're struck down, we fell, we've fallen, but we're not destroyed. And I thought about how God does not want us to follow the will of the world. The will of the world is that we be destroyed. The, enemy, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. God's will is that we have life to the full. And it made me think about 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where it says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. In other words, stuff happens. We live in the real world. Right? Anything can happen to us at any time. Such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, listen to this, will provide a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. David easily could have refused to leave. You need to go, David. The commanders don't want you here. I don't care. I'm fighting. I'll kill them so that I can go kill my brothers. Who's, opposed, who's telling me I got to go? Have them come make me go. David could have done that. Right? Or he could have said, all right, I'll go, but then sneak back in the battle, you know, come through the trees or something and start fighting and and then do it there. My bottom line is that he could have still, he had the opportunity to go to fight if he wanted to, but he didn't. David took the way of escape and David lived. And he went and rescued his wife and children and his friend's wife and children, and they lived. He made the right choice in that moment. Listen to me. There are some of us, maybe some of our friends who fit the description that Jeremiah gives in Jeremiah eighteen twelve. He says, but they will say, they will think to themselves, just like David did. He thought to himself, it's hopeless. 
We are going to follow our own plans. And each of us will act according to the stubbornness of his own heart. Listen to that description because it might describe you. It might describe a family member. It might describe a very best friend. They will say to themselves. They will think to themselves. It's hopeless. For we are going to follow our own plans. And each of us will act according to the stubbornness of his own evil heart. Listen, I believe that the Lord is saying actually what Jeremiah said in another spot. Jeremiah said, when will you, this is the Lord speaking to the people of Israel through Jeremiah. When will you stop running? When will you stop running and panting after other gods? Really what he's saying there is when will you stop seeking your approval, your acceptance from the world? But you say, save your breath. I'm in love with these foreign things. And I can't stop loving them now. In other words, don't talk to me. It's too late. Listen, what was my sermon in a sentence? <laughs> don't be fatal. <laughs> Remember, the Father is faithful. You got to stand with me. Remember, the Father is faithful. How do you keep from being fatal? Don't do what David did. Did you notice what it said? The NLT version says, David kept thinking to himself. That's why it's not good to be away from community. You start thinking to yourself. You don't think to yourself. You're going through a hard time. You process that with a brother. You process that with a sister. What's really going on? Let a brother or a sister encourage you and say to you, God is faithful. He's rescued you every time Saul came at you. When have you ever been destroyed? Yeah, you've been struck down. But when has God ever let it go to the point of you totally being destroyed. Never. Isn't that right? Are you guys here what I'm saying? Can I read 1 John to you? 1 John chapter 5. Let me find it. If you want to look at it, you can too. But I'm going to read that to you. 1 John chapter 5. And then I want us to sing our brains out, praising God for his faithfulness. Can we do that? Is that a good, worthy, uh, appropriate way to end tonight? Can somebody tell me where 1 John is? Because I'm so riled up, I can't even find it. 1 John Chapter 5, there it is right there, right where it said it would be. Whoever, you ready? I'm going to read this, and you can close your eyes. I'll read this over you, and then we'll just start worshiping. We'll praise God. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this.